Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today we are privileged to be joined by Mrs. Slavi Jungreis Wolf, daughter of the famed Rebbitzin Esther Jungreis. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. out. And we're still excited to talk about the book, The Rebbitzin, written by Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. It's about a year and a half since the release of the book. And it's still popular, and I'm sure you're still hearing Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. It came out during COVID. And in fact, I just met some women and husbands, families, who told me that it got them through that Pesach, that first Pesach when you're just inside the house. Mm -hmm. They took this book. Some people even sent me pictures of them hugging the book because it got them through that difficult time. So there are definitely a lot of memories of the book being people's kind of right hand during that time absolutely. when they were at home. Yes, absolutely. When you're home and you need some type of chizuk, and at the same time you need something colorful and full of life and spirit, this was an amazing book, and it still is. I'm meeting just all ages, even children tell me, that they've done reports on this book mm -hmm. for school. So before we get in-depth yes. into the book, I'd love to hear a little about yourself growing up, growing up in a house with a very, very prominent mother and a prominent father as well, which we'll talk about. But what was that like as a, as a young girl growing up? Did you know as a youngster that, you know, your mother was not like other people's mothers? <laughs> we knew we weren't typical, that's for sure. But the amazing thing about my mother was that she was Ima, you know. We always knew that we came first in my mother's life. And at the same time, my parents were a team, along with my grandparents. A lot of that's in the book. But we just felt that we were family, and everything that my parents did, they made us a part of that. So it wasn't mm -hmm. a separate part of their lives. We were on such an incredible mission together. And I am who I am today. My children are who they are today because of my parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. Now, your mother was a Holocaust survivor, very prominent one. Did you feel that growing up? Did you know that she was a Holocaust survivor? And what kind of messages were being sent to you as you were growing up in regards to perpetuating the memories of those who perished in the Holocaust? Talk about I that. I love that question. You know, my name is not a usual name, right? right? right. Okay. And I was named for my great-grandmother, my Zaidi's mother, who was taken away to Auschwitz. I always knew who I was. We always knew who we were because we were given the names of those who were lost, who mm -hmm. perished in that terrible time. So we knew that we are here with a mission. We're here with a purpose. If somebody would ask me, what day did you find out that your parents survived the Holocaust? There's no such thing. Mm -hmm. This was our mother's milk, mm -hmm. you know. We knew that we came from this incredible dynasty, all the way back to the Menuchas Asher, who was a Baal sure. It's all in the book, also these incredible stories. And it's our roots, it's our identity. So my mother would tell me that when she named me in the hospital, the nurse came and asked, what would you like to name this baby? And she said, Slavachana. And mm -hmm. the nurse said, I'll come back when you're feeling better, dear, you know? <laughs> but there was no compromising on who we were. We knew that. Mm -hmm. So this Holocaust story of our life, it wasn't a sad story. Mm -hmm. It was a story of triumph. That's interesting. And whenever our children would come for Shabbos to my parents' home, every lull Shabbos, we had this routine. They would all get into pajamas, go into the basement. My father would sing Shema with them. 
and then they would say, Bubba, can you tell us a story from when you were a little girl? And what was that? Those were Holocaust stories, mm. but they weren't frightening stories. They were stories of who we are, how my mother would tell them every day at roll call. I stood there and I was covered with lice. I was freezing cold, I was starving. I was in rags, but you know what? I looked at those Nazis with their dogs, with their wool coats, all fed and full, with their shiny boots, warm. And I always said, Baruch Hashem, that I am me and I'm not one of them. Wow. And that's how, that's how we grew up. So what, again, it wasn't a negative experience or negative memories. It Absolutely was, this, it was not. the strength. It was strength and we knew who we came from. You know, those who perished still live on. We don't forget them. We, we know the names. We have the Leichters. Mm -hmm. We have their stories. And our children do too. It doesn't end. And how do you find that impacting the way you educate your children and when you speak to people about the Holocaust, that it shaped your message regarding the Holocaust in a very, very unique way? Absolutely. I always say I was born upon the ashes of the Holocaust. And when I light my licht every Friday, I see the licht that were dug out of the earth and came back to us. And my mother told us the story when my Zaidi got the leichter of my Bubby, for whom I was named. The person went back to the town to Nadadvar and nobody was left, but this leichter was left. So he came back, knocked on my Zaidi's home and said, I made a promise that I would not sleep, I would not rest until I bring the leichter back to its rightful owner. And when I was born, my Zayda gave the Leichter to my mother and said, we have a mission in this world. Even in the greatest of darkness, you light your Licht and Shabbos is the key to Am Yisrael. This became our mission. Mm. And who, who has those Leichters? I have the Leichter. I have that. We all really? have different Leichters from all our... Different stages? Bubbies and Zaydis wow. from the Menuchas Usher even. There were four wow. and there's four of us. So each of us has one but I have the leichter that was hid from my Boba Slavachana wow. in the earth before she was taken to Auschwitz. Hmm. How special that is. Very special, very special. Now, when you were younger, you talked about accompanying your mother. What was that like as a little girl? Here, your mother is larger than life. Yes. Speaking to massive audiences, seemingly without any fear or fright, and you're watching her do it. What, what are your memories of those moments? Well, I remember Madison Square Garden. You do? Absolutely, front row, with my father, with my Zadie, pitch black, and mm. all of a sudden the spotlight comes on. There's thousands of people. I mean, I think about it now. How did she have the courage? Right. How? How? It was just such a bracha from Shemayim. There was just no doubt about that. And I look up, and there is my mother whispering, you are a Jew. There is silence. How old were you at the time? I must have been like 10 years old. Mm. And I knew that this was something unique. This was something special. But for my mother, this was something normal. Mm -hmm. You know, this was normal. There was the summer that there was the Lebanon War. And my mother asked me if I'd like to accompany her. And that's how the book begins. We drove into Lebanon. Mm. And I watched my mother give chizuk wherever she was. 
everyone was important to my mother. I couldn't walk down the street without somebody stopping and saying, are you rabbits and young rice? And she would give everyone her heart. She would give everyone a smile. But at the same time, I knew that Ima was always there for us. I would never call and she would not be there. Did she ever suffer from stage fright? Did you ever see her nervous? Because from the pictures and videos and anyone who's seen her, she always seemed to be very, very under control, never ruffled. Do you ever remember her being you know, nervous? My mother would always call my Zayda for a bracha before mm -hmm. she would speak. And my father would always give his bracha and an encouraging word. I think that when you have a bracha in life like that, you have strength. Mm -hmm. You don't feel alone. And also my mother was very passionate about what she did. So if you believe in yourself and your message, not in an arrogant way, mm -hmm. but she really believed in what she did and wanted to help Am Yisrael. She had come from a place of ashes and fire and losing life. There were 85 Rabbanim with the name Young Grace before the war, and they all perished. Their mishpachas, everybody. So she had seen this physical holocaust, came to this country, and could not believe the spiritual holocaust that happened. So she couldn't remain silent. Mm -hmm. She was so passionate. She had a fire that burned inside of her until the last day that she was on this earth. Now, when she spoke publicly, did she have to practice? Did you see her preparing? Never, 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 never with a paper. Right. Never with a pen. No notes? Never with notes. All here and in her heart. I think she that goes to say, the point. Yeah. Before she'd start, she would say, Hashem Sifasai Tiftach. Mm. Every single time. Like you said, she was so passionate about it. This is what she breathed. So she didn't need to prepare for that. This was what was constantly running through her mind constantly, and her heart. Constantly, every Shabbos table was just hearing my mother's thoughts and passion. She was a soul on fire. Mm. She really was a soul on fire and I know brilliant. This might be a, yeah, brilliant. She brilliant. was brilliant. My mother was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, if my children came with the Devar Torah at the table in a second, the Pasuk, the source, it. oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> Now, I know this might be a, a, an interesting question, but did you ever see her down? Did you ever see her struggle and then overcome? Because so much of the book is all about her, her positivity and perseverance in almost a superhuman way. Did you ever see her in a, in a moment of, of true, um, where she was vulnerable? Did you ever see that in her? I think if I look back, when my Zaidi left this world, that was a very hard moment because the bond between my mother and my Zayda mm. was very, very strong. When my father left this world, when my grandmother left this world, you know, with each passing neshama that was a force in my mother's life, that was hard mm. to say goodbye to, to them because they had come to this country persevering and going through so much. When my mother became sick, and my siblings and myself, we were at the doctor with my mother. So I remember that moment. And the doctor turned to my mother and unfortunately gave very difficult news. I saw my mother breathe for a moment. She had one tear come down and she said, I have only one question. I just want to teach Torah. Can I still teach? And 
and that was it. And he said, as long as you feel strong enough, you teach. That was a hard thing, you know, to grapple with, for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. But the courage that I saw, even in the last chapter of my mother's life, was incredible. She broke her hip. She had a very difficult diagnosis. She would not just sit at home. And in fact, I invited the couples that I teach in Hineni to come for, I called it a day of blessing. Nobody knew how ill my mother really was, but they knew a little bit that she wasn't feeling well. You couldn't move in my mother's house that day, okay? Mm. Again, standing room only. I mean, you can't imagine. All ages, all types. And my mother gave the speech of her life. She told them that she's going to give them a bracha, but she wants them to remember this. They cannot just be fans. The Jewish people need players. Mm -hmm. And we've become a nation of fans. She mm -hmm. said, promise me you're going to hit a home run for your team and play for your team and be strong for your team because we need strong players. Mm -hmm. And that was till her last day. This is even in her weak, so to speak, physically weak moments. Yes, yes. She was still so strong, always teaching. Always teaching, even in the hospital, trying to make shidduchim, and she did, and giving brachas. Mm. I mean, that was her whole life, to just give, give brachas, give strength, teach Torah, and touch every neshama. There was never a neshama that she felt could not come home. Never. And she loved everybody, really Avas Yisrael. When she looked at you, she didn't see what you were wearing. She looked at your eyes, and she saw your soul. She was an incredible shooting star, and we miss her. And, and a major support to your mother was your father. Yes. Who is described in the book as well as an incredible human being who in some way, shape, or form stood behind your mother because he allowed her to do what she did, but he himself was, was something very special. Talk about your father and, and the role that he played in your life and in hers. So my father came to this country as an orphan. They were cousins, but they had not known each other in Hungary. And my father found his way to my Zayda and the family because of the same last name. My father, I, I can tell you, he, he was a tzaddik. <laughs> I don't say that. I don't say that lightly. He was also, he was brilliant. He was a rav. He was humble. We called him the gentle giant. Mm -hmm. I never heard my father lose his temper in my entire life. He was a huge Talmud Chacham. And he was secure enough in himself to introduce himself wherever he'd go as, I'm the husband of Rebetzin Esther Youngrice. It gave him so much pride and so much nachas. They were partners together. Mm -hmm. You have to be a very complete human being, man, and confident in yourself. So my mother would always say that my father's name was Meshulam because he was Meshulam. He was complete. Mm. And, and that was the truth. Everything they did, they did together. That's my memory. So there was no way that my mother could do what she did without my father's support. You were just talking about how your mother would look into people's eyes and she saw their neshama. Your father was very much like that also. In fact, one of my favorite stories in this book is about your father, the story about the nurse who came to the shiva. I don't know if you want to tell our viewers the story for those who didn't read it. Just an unbelievable story 
there was a nurse, um, there was a nurse who was a nurse for a baby, a newborn baby in my father's shul. And the nurse came to Shiva and she said that she was coming to let us know that in all her years of being a nurse in Jewish families, there was no one who ever really thought about her at the bris until my father came in one day and at the bris of this baby who she was taking care of came in with food for her and said, you're doing such an important mission. You're taking care of a Jewish baby and we have to say thank you. And that, that's what he was, you know. I couldn't get on the bus in the morning without my father coming down with me and saying thank you to the bus driver. Wow. I mean, Hakaris Hatov was his life. He taught us that. I think about it sometimes because he could have been a very bitter or difficult or sad human being. He lost everybody. Mm -hmm. He had nobody. Sure. But you know, our babies were called shoulder babies because whenever we had a baby, my father would come over and he would just take the baby and sing to them. When he would learn, he would learn singing and out loud, holding a baby on his lap. He was the most gentle, beautiful human being. And in the book you mentioned that your mother found notes of his. And in uh, one of the notes he writes that the two most important words are thank you, are thank uh, if you. I remember it correctly. I'll, which is so interesting because you're, you're talking about his boundless hakarasa type to everyone, the bus driver, a nurse. It seemed to be so much part of his essence. He also felt everybody's pain. And I would see him sometimes, my father, come home from a shiva visit from someone in the shul. It doesn't matter what their background was. It doesn't matter who they were. And he would be quiet for a few moments, and I could see that he was absorbing and actually carrying somebody else's tsar. That's how we grew up. It was incredible. Now, growing up with two extraordinary parents, did you ever feel a certain amount of pressure to live up to unbelievable standards? Did you feel that? I felt incredible love. Mm. I didn't feel pressure ever. I, I wanted, of course, every, everyone wants to do their best and be their best, but it wasn't because of pressure. It was because we wanted to fill this circle that we grew up with. There was so much loss that my parents were coming from, but so much beauty also. Mm -hmm. I feel as if I know my Zadies and Bubbies who are back in Hungary. They're such a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's not pressure to be like them, but more like a desire to complete them, to mm -hmm. live for them because they could not. And what propelled you and at what point did you feel the opportunity, more than the responsibility, but the opportunity to carry on your mother's legacy. When you were a teenager, what did you see yourself doing? And did you see yourself doing what you do now, which is speak all over the world and really become an extension of your mother's message? Actually, I never saw myself as that, no. <laughs> um, I can say that as children, we were one of the only from families in the neighborhood. Right now, North Woodmere is booming. Right. When we were growing up, I mean, do you know what Purim was for us? Purim was my grandmother's kakash cakes, okay? My mother, it, it was an assembly line, okay? My mother putting everything and wrapping it with tin foil and, mm -hmm. and Hershey kisses and all types of things like that. My father would drive us around to everybody in the community and our job was to knock on the door to say, hello, we have a present, it's Purim, and people would say, 
what's Purim? And then we would explain. Hmm. And that's how people came into our lives and into our homes. Did I see myself as doing this or that when I'm older? No, it was just like who we are. You know, you Hmm. eat, you drink, you bring people into your home. That's what you do. You didn't didn't know know anything else. I didn't know anything else. And we just grew up with this feeling of mission and purpose. I believe that everybody needs to have a sense of mission and purpose in life for Chiyos. Mm -hmm. Now, it's about five plus years years since your your mother was Nifter. At what point did you say we have to put her story into a book? Oh, my goodness. I mean, when after my mother was Nifteris, you know, we were sitting at Shiva and the people who came in, it was so overwhelming. We had no idea who they were. And the people that we do know who they are. And there's still more stories that didn't even make it into the book mm-hmm. that are incredible. My mother was a shooting star. The chizuk, the strength. There's not many people in our world today that you can read their story and say, wow, how did one person do all that mm-hmm. and make such a difference in this world? Coming from a place of fire and loss and then fixing all that and making it better and touching thousands of lives across the entire world? How do you do that? So it's so powerful and empowering Mm -hmm. to know that one person can really make a difference in this world. Especially for women. It's chizik for women that women could know that they could be empowering to others. Have you heard stories like that in response to the book of people who just said, wow, I, I see that I can make a difference? Yes, I've met so many people who said to me, you know, I asked myself, what would Rebetz and Young Grace say? Or what would Rebetz and Young Grace do? Or I'm going to invite this person to Shabbos because I read about that in the book, The Rebetz mm-hmm. or how you can impact somebody with just a good word. And it's not just women, but it is also women. But I've heard from Chashava Rabbeim how this is their Musser book. Really? Yes. This is, I've heard from Rabbeim, they said to me, I have to tell you, this is my Musser book. And where does one start when they start putting together such a book? Where, where, does, where does one begin? With Rabbi Seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, kudos to him. Yes, he's, I he's mean, a master at what he does. I couldn't imagine how he could possibly do it. And he weaved through the story, not just like a biography. This is, mm-hmm. this is a unique book because it's exciting. He jumps back and forth. He gets into people's minds and hearts. And I have to tell you the truth. When I finished the last page, I closed the book and I started to cry because I felt as if I had my mother back while I was reading that book. He really captured my mother. Really, siyata dishmaya. And that's no easy task. That is no easy task, no. But really, it is. It is a book full of life, full of energy, and it's an exciting journey. People who picked up the book cannot put it down. No, no. And they read it again and again. And it gives you courage, especially in our times today. We need mm-hmm. books that give us strength and courage. Speaking of that, when you go around the world now to speak, is there a particular area that you find that people need chizik in? Or is there one area that people are struggling with 
What are you seeing? Because you have a unique vantage point now going around speaking to very diverse audiences. Some people who are more from, some less from, some not yet from. What are you finding that the challenges are different today than perhaps 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when your mother was doing a very similar thing? You know, that's such an interesting question. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking that throughout our journey of Am Yisrael, the challenge was always you need the Amuna to keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep on walking. So my mother had that footstep story in the book, which is such a powerful story. And it resonates amongst all ages and all types of Jews. And though she said it so many years ago, I still give that story over today. Mm -hmm. And I see tears because we all need the chizuk. That never changes. You know, think about it. When we left Bavel, we needed that story. <laughs> when we left Mitzrayim, we needed the story. We went through the gas chambers. When we go through a pandemic, when we're attacked throughout the world now, and there's violent mm -hmm. anti-Semitism, we need the story to know that there are Bubbies and Zadis who walked before us. And even, as my mother said, if the snow is very deep and I fall down, I stand up and I keep walking in the footsteps. I love that. Mm -hmm. And whoever I meet, everybody loves that because it's empowering for us. Is, do you have any particular favorite stories from the book? I mean, it's a massive book with dozens, hundreds of stories and anecdotes. Anything in particular that, that resonated that, with that you? That resonates with yeah. me? Um, there, there was something that, that Rabbi Seltzer captured from my son that I had not really known until he had interviewed my son. And it was in the last days of my mother's life. My son would make Havdalah, my son Eli would make Havdalah for my mother because we lived, we had the Zuchus to live nearby. And all my boys made Havdalah for my mother and then when they went on to yeshiva or get married, then the next one did. So this was Baruch Hashem, my third son. And one Matzah Shabbos, he came home and his eyes were glistening. And I saw that, you know, something. And I asked him what happened, but he really captured it with Rabbi Seltzer. So he was making Havdalah, getting everything ready. And he heard my mother on the couch saying something. So he goes over and he said, what, Boba? And my mother said, hazos rabbits and young rice? Hazos rabbits and young rice? Like hazos naami? And my son again looked at my mother and she said, Eli, Eli, don't remember me like this. Don't mm -hmm. remember me like this. Hazos rabbits and young rice? She was sitting, my mother, with her tehillim. And my son said, but, but Boba, you, you give your all with your tehillim, with putting your right shoe on before your left shoe, with every halacha and every bracha, and you stand here, and it takes so much. Mm. So he told Rabbi Seltzer afterwards that he wished that he could tell her that this was the moment, hazos na'ami, when the Yeshua came, when the birth of David HaMelech was just beginning, and what he saw, the courage, the strength, despite it all, mm. that for him is the greatest moment. 
you have this book out. We have here actually two other books from your mother. Uh, one written by your brothers. Yes. Torah for your table. And here's a book from your mother, Life is a Test, both published uh, by Art Scroll. But I know that there are other writings, it seems. Yes. And some other exciting projects. Talk about that. What other books and writings? I'm sure people will be thrilled to hear that Rebetzin, Esther Jungreis's writings are, are still going to be published. So my mother's writings, it's not just stories, but my mother really had wisdom, Torah wisdom, mm. through which to live. And we have a big manuscript that we are working on, that Be'ezra Hashem will be coming out with the Art Scroll, that my mother left. Really, I call this her Yerusha, and it's oh. her legacy, with her thoughts and her wisdoms for life, how to Incredible. be a blessing. Wow. And these are writings that she had intended to publish, just she, she never... She intended to publish, to and the last... She, it's huge. It's a huge manuscript. It's there. Oh. The last chapter she called Shachris Minchamayrev. Oh. And it has just a few words and it's blank. Mm. And that was the last chapter. Oh. As far as the book again, what stories could you share of people who've been inspired to, to make changes in their life based on what your mother personified? Any specific inspiring story that you could think of? I mean, it's endless because we, we meet people and we don't realize that everyone has a story. So we can gather all these people in a room, but it's not just their story. It's their children and it's their children's children. So they come back with diarists that have been transformed through my mother, you know, I, I think that when you read the book, you have to stop sometimes and just absorb what is happening over here. Some of the stories will make you laugh and some of the stories will make you cry, but each one gets into your heart. Do you have any plans to publish additional stories on an expanded version? Because it sounds like there a lot are more, more, has, stories. I, lot I, more stories. I didn't think about it, but there are more stories. I was just giving a Zoom, in fact, and at the end of the Zoom, one woman asked if she could say something, and I said, sure, and she said, I don't know if you remember me, but my, my sister married that Chinese gear that your mother made the shidduch, and in Eretz Yisrael, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is such an amazing story. That will be in the next book. <laughs> sure. And what personified your mother was really what she herself testified what she wanted written on her tombstone. Also yes. two words. It's interesting. Your father had his two words, which were thank you. And she had her two words, which was I care. I care. And maybe that's why they had such an unbelievable marriage. Because he was about Hakar Satayv and she was also about caring. She was about And that caring. fused together in an amazing combination that just uh, leaves us all inspired. What, what final message do you have for our viewers about what they could do in their lives to carry on your mother's legacy of caring? I think that we have to look beyond ourselves. It's easy to become self-absorbed today. First of all, we call it the selfie generation. You know, it's easy to just get into that lens. And people have tsar. 
when somebody has a tsar, we've just gone through a pandemic, there's a lot of loss and sadness and grief. How do you pick yourself up? My mother would always say, do for somebody else. Mm. And if you do for somebody else, you are the one who comes out gaining because you realize that you really have a mission in this world. Every single person listening now, my mother would say, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care where you've been. You have a Bubby and a Zaidi who have davened for you, who have made a path for you. And you just have to pick yourself up, keep walking, and know that you never walk alone. If we can remember that, to have that Ahavas Yisrael also, something that has always stuck with me was the first day that my mother arrived to Bergen-Belsen, my Zayda turned to her and said, Lichtekind, my precious light, here you have a grace of you have a huge mission. And my mother said to Zayda, Tati, here? I'm just a little girl, look, what, what can I do here? And my Zayda said, here, you can give a smile. You can give a smile. Because when you give a smile to somebody, you give them hope. And hope creates life. If we can just take out of this, if a little girl in Bergen-Belsen can give a schmeichel, can give a smile, surely we can do that and give hope to each other. No question. Well, you've given us a lot of hope, you and your siblings. Thank and you. I should really thank you and your siblings for sharing your mother's life with us. Because without all your work, and, and, and I know a lot of work went into this book, and without you and your siblings, you're, the time that was expended and the effort and the love that was put into this book, we wouldn't have this treasure. So thank you to your family. Thank you. We really appreciate all your efforts to bring this book to fruition and continue Atzlacha to you in inspiring Jews of all types across the world to draw closer to their Creator. Amen. And thank you for the inspiring messages that you shared with us thank today. Thank you. And I'd like to thank Art Scroll and Rabbi Zlatowicz and Rabbi Seltzer for putting their heart and soul into this book.